Hey, everyone. Great to see you all. Well, you can see me. I can't see you. Anyway, but uh, I'm looking, staring down the barrel of a camera and in faith that I'm talking to a whole crowd of people spread across the city and beyond this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Matt. I'm the pastor here at Liberty Church. And uh, we're really glad that you've tuned in today. Uh, however you found us, maybe this is your first time uh, or maybe you are part of the family here and have been doing this for, or doing this for a, a year or, or coming up to a year but have been gathering with us for much longer. You're very welcome and uh, we hope that God will speak to you today. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians, uh, you may remember as a church we worked through this uh, book, which is a, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a new church that he helped to start and then he had to leave. Uh, after about three weeks of being there, he was thrown out of the city of Thessalonica. He had to leave this infant church to get on with their business. And then a few years later, he writes to them a letter, which is this. He actually writes two letters, but we're just going to look at one Thessalonians today. Um, in particular, we're going to focus on one verse from chapter 3. Uh, you may remember, we, as I said, we went through this book last year, but at the start of this year, we've been going through uh, some lockdown prayers, some prayers to help us at the start of this year. Uh, and we're going to focus in on, on a prayer that Paul prays in this book uh, to the, this young infant church. So I'm going to read uh, from verse... 9 of chapter 3 through to verse 13. It says this, uh, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is life to us. This is food to us. This is what we need today. We're surrounded by so many different suggestions of what we need, but what we need Jesus is, is you. And we find you speaking to us, directing our ways, leading us, guiding our hearts, pouring out your love to us. We find all of that in this book. We pray as we study these words today that you would speak faith to us, that we would know you working deeply in our hearts to draw us ever closer to you, to know and experience more of you and your love for us. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We read there uh, from verses 9 to 13. We're going to particularly focus on just one verse today, which is verse, verse 10. 
where Paul says we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And I guess the big idea of this message today, what I want to communicate to us, is that you, me, us, we together, we need the church. We need the church. And that in us not being able to be together as we normally do, as we normally would, we, we lack something. Although this communication, this way of speaking to us in this pandemic via YouTube is a wonderful gift uh, and serves us in many different ways, I'm sure we all know that feeling that we just miss being together. That in the same way Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and he says he, they lack and he wants to supply what they lack and you could say that that's some teaching, some instruction that he didn't get to give to them, that he wants to give to them, which is probably true. But I think he's talking about something deeper as well. That when we're not able to be together in this same room, that there's something that we lack. And I don't really need to try and explain to you why that is, because in a sense, I think we all know that. Regularly, I have conversations with, with many of you who say similar things to that. You know, I just, I just miss um, being able just to sing songs of worship together. You know, we can do it in our living rooms or in our bedrooms, but there's something about being together that's just different. And that's not, that's not immaturity. That's not just because you miss the, the kind of the atmosphere or the vibe. It's because there's something about us being together as the people of God that's important, that's vital, that is good for us that we're supposed to do. So let me help us to try and understand this. Let me quote from a, a friend of mine, uh, Andrew Wilson, who is a, a writer, an author, and a preacher in the UK, who someone was asking him about his, his own personal walk with God during this pandemic and how, how he'd been finding things. And he says this, he says, if if the Bible was true, which I believe it is, I would expect it to have cost me spiritually not to meet as a church. I'd expect not having communion, not having corporate prayer, not having corporate singing to take a huge toll on my spiritual life. And I think we can all relate to that. We, we can all feel that. We're all longing for when we can be together again. It doesn't mean that the church has sort of stopped. The church still exists. We're still functioning. God's still able to speak to hearts. He's still building his church. But yet we're all aware of something in this season that we, we lack, that we want to be together again. And that's what I want to talk about today to help us to try and understand is what, why do we lack this? What is the church, what's it supposed to be? What's it supposed to do to us and in us? So first of all, let's look at what that question, what is, what is the church? If you went out onto the, the street and did a, a survey, just asked, you know, a hundred, a thousand people across our city what the church is, I think they'd probably say one of three things. They'd say, it's a building, like here, Vondelkerk, it's, it's a uh, 
a structure, a, 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 a physical place, a building. Or they might say, the second one would probably be, they'd say it's, it's like an institution, like, like uh, the Catholic Church. It's a, it's a giant organization, a huge institutional structure. Or they might, thirdly, they might say, oh no, the, the church is, is a people. It's, it's a community. It's kind of a, a collective noun for, for a group of people that all, all follow Jesus. That's the church. It's a people. And to different extents, those answers are all, are all true. <laughs> uh, as Christians, we're very used to saying, oh no, the church isn't, church isn't a building, it's, it's a people. Whereas actually, for most people in our city, they look at a building like this, and you know, even we call it a church building. Uh, it, it is, in some sense, a church. But really, really all three of those things don't quite really add up to what the church is. Not, they don't even really get close. Because if you think about it, if you were to miss any of those things, it wouldn't really be much more than just sentimentality because they're all replaceable. Obviously, you can replace a building. You know, if we, if we couldn't meet here, we'd go and meet somewhere else and we'd still be the church. You can replace institutions, organizations. You can even replace people. You could, if you've got like a group of friends, you know, when, you, when you're suddenly taken out of that group, you might feel the loss, feel the pain, but you could go somewhere else. You could find another group of people. You could find another group of friends. They're all replaceable. And actually what the church is, is something more, it's deeper, it's more profound than all of those things. I think the best place to start is to see what Jesus said about the church. And often you'll hear people say, no, the, the church was just, the church was the creation of Jesus' disciples. You know, Jesus was just his, his kind of his own thing. He was just this renegade doing his own activity. And the church is just this institution that his disciples created. Well, that's not actually true. Jesus said perhaps the most uh, important thing about the church upon which everything else is built. He says this in Matthew 18. He says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. He's talking about the church. That word gathered is how the New Testament then goes on to speak about the church, that they're a gathered community, a people that come together, and when they come together, Jesus is among them that when we meet together, he's with us. And that's, that's what you see as the New Testament story goes on, that after Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension up to heaven, we read in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, when in Acts chapter four, the church gathers together to pray and the Holy Spirit floods into their midst. The building literally shakes as his presence comes upon them again. In 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul writes that when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. He says in chapter three of that same book, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That's what it is to be the church, the people of God, is that 
he dwells in us. Christ dwells in us. That's part of the mystery of the gospel is our, is our union with Christ, not just individually, but corporately, together. We're united with Christ. It's not that Jesus just talked about what the church was and is, that Jesus himself is the head of the church. That the church doesn't just teach the gospel, doesn't just give an example of the gospel, but the church is part of what the gospel itself is. To be a Christian isn't just that you're saved, that you were once a sinner and then you're now redeemed. To be a Christian is you're, you're added into a co local community of believers. That to be a Christian and not be part of the church doesn't actually work. It doesn't really, that's not what it's supposed to be like. If you're just watching this and you're just bouncing between churches just every week, oh, this wonderful new era where we can just go online and find any church I want around the world, then you're, you're supposed to be somewhere. You're supposed to be united to a, a group of people, to a family, because first and foremost, to be a Christian means you're united with Christ. And somehow divorcing your Christianity from the church, it's like uprooting a plant, taking a plant out of its pot, you're just leaving it on the ground. It may survive for a little while, but eventually it will, it will wither, it will shrink, it will die. Perhaps the best illustration that the, the Bible uses to describe the church is like it's a body. We're a body together. Each of us like a finger or a toe, a kneecap, a nail, a hair. We're all part of this body, this living organism with Christ as our head. It says in Romans 12, so we, though many, we're one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Not only are we united with Christ, we're united with one another. And this is this idea of the church being a body, it's more than just, the Bible isn't just giving us a picture or an illustration. There's something that's true about this that we perhaps won't ever really understand. This, in a sense, is part of the mystery of the gospel that may always remain a bit of a mystery to us. How does this work? How, how does our union with Christ work? How are we part of the body? But it's very true, and it's very powerful. Perhaps another way that the, the Bible really kind of hammers this home for us is in Ephesians 5, where it's talking about marriage, what it is for a man and woman to be married to one another, but it's using that as an example to help us understand how we, the church, are united to Christ. And it says that we are one flesh when a man and woman come together in, in the marriage union and make a covenantal commitment to one another and then the Bible describes them as, as one flesh that they're somehow together linked together, joined together in a really incredible way you know when, when Joe and I got married we got rid of our separate bank accounts and we had one bank account and we had to learn how to share our money with one another and it feels awkward sometimes even today we still argue about it, we disagree about it but it's something we work out together because we're one 
flesh now. We're in a union with one another. And that's what it is for the church. Uh, That explains our relationship with Jesus, that we're one flesh with him now. Not just you and Jesus, us, the church community and Jesus, one flesh. So the best way to answer that question asked of what is the church is we're a people united, one flesh, with Christ and with each other. So let's try and put some of this theology into practice. Why do you, why do you need the church? What good is it to you? Well, first of all, I can give you one, I guess, I guess one kind of negative and five positives. First of all, the church will supply your lack. As Paul wrote here to the church in Thessalonica, that there was something that they lacked and he wanted to supply it to them the same, in the same way without the church, you will lack very deeply something. And that doesn't make sense to us when, when all the time we believe that our, our spirituality is, is a private thing, surely. That's how the world around us will view faith, religion, spirituality, whatever you want to call it, is that it's, it's a private matter. Uh, that's how people pursue spirituality around us. They'll do things like yoga and other exercises to find some kind of inner peace. It's a, it's a search for something with inside yourself. It's a search for some deeper, profound meaning that's very individual, very personal. And that's often we take that ideology, we take that viewpoint into how we consider the church. And that, I don't even just mean for people that are, as I talked about earlier, is sort of bouncing from one church to the next. But even for us, I do it myself, for people that have committed to this church, we often think about what we can get out of it. We think very individually about it, that the the church service becomes some kind of entertainment experience. And when we're not entertained as fully as we would like to be, we'll just go somewhere else where they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, Music is the kind of music we like a bit more, where the preacher doesn't say things that offend them quite so much. We'll just go to the next entertaining place. We treat pastors as kind of life coaches, as sort of spiritual gurus, as the Bible becomes just this kind of manual which we can pick and choose from to guide us through our way. And we, we approach it very individually. And actually, that's not what the church is like at all that we come to it and it feeds our, our lack, our need, and we get to minister that to each other as well, that we get to bring the grace of God to one another. So first of all, the church will supply your lack. Secondly, the church will give you courage. In Romans chapter one, Paul says a similar thing about his longing to see them. He was the same time separated from the church in Rome when he wrote that letter. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That's what we're supposed to do in this church family, is encourage one another, to build one another up. And we need that. 
to follow the call of God on your life, to live out what it is to be a follower of Jesus in this world, will need courage for so many different things. You know, to be a parent, you need courage. To go about your job, your career, you need courage. To go about all the different tasks of your life, even just to be a, a godly man or a godly woman in a world which is so confused about even what gender is, needs courage, faith. And as the church, we're supposed to give that to one another. That's what encouragement is, is to put courage in each other, to come alongside one another and strengthen one another. Paul goes on to say this to the Thessalonians later in the, in the letter. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. To be part of the church means you'll find courage. And not only will you receive it for yourself, you get to dish it out. We get to both receive it and give it to others as well. Thirdly, the church will help you grow up. Dan was talking about this last week. If you haven't seen it, I'd encourage you to go back to it. He talked about this equation that we saw in Philippians where love plus knowledge plus discernment equals mature love. That in one sense as a, as a kind of a new believer when you first come to the faith, in many ways you're like an infant baby you're a child and we're supposed to grow up into our faith. I don't mean that we reach kind of different levels of spirituality, that somehow there are some Christians that are better than others because we're all loved by Christ, however we come to him. But that we get to, we, we mature, we grow up, where the Bible uses this word, we, we become sanctified. And that happens, you can't, that won't happen outside of the church. That will happen within the church. We'll help one another to grow up. The main way the Bible often talks about how the church is supposed to relate to one another is as a, as a family. That you need mums and dads, brothers and sisters, grandparents. You need those relationships. And we need them most vitally in the church community. See, the church, it's, it's more than just a few mates hanging out. It's more than just, oh, well, we all believe in Jesus, let's hang out together. The church isn't just, oh, there's a group of people over there and they kind of hang out and they love Jesus, so that's a church. There's another group. That's not what the church is. The church is about family, about brothers and sisters mothers and fathers. And that passage that I read from earlier, where Jesus describes the church, we often actually take that out of its context, where Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And we use that to justify, well, we're just two or three together, that's the church. Another two or three over here, that's the church. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, yes, when we come together, even just two or three, yes, he's with us. But actually, if you read the rest of that, that whole section that that's in, it's a key tip. If you ever come across a verse in the Bible, you don't quite understand what it means, or someone quotes a verse at you, read, read around it. <laughs> read the context. See what else is it's the Bible saying. 
And the rest of the, if you read from verse 15 through to verse 20 of Matthew 18, what Jesus is talking about is that he's actually talking about discipline in the church. He talks about when a brother sins and you need to confront them, take someone else with you and confront them together. And that's when you find the presence of God with you. It's actually quite a difficult section of the Bible to read. He's talking about the church as a place where authority functions. And we often see authority as a bad, negative thing. Ugh, authority, yuck, Ugh, so evil and horrid. But authority is a gift from God. It really is, that's what the Bible says. And yes, we, we think it's bad because so often it's been abused in the world around us and we must guard ourselves against that and call it out whenever we see it. But actually it's supposed to be a wonderful, good thing. As, as a child growing up, when you were a child, when you were growing up, you needed a mum or dad, not, not just to sort of cheer you on all the time, but to be an authority figure in your life. In, in your workplace, you need people of authority to tell you what to do sometimes, to tell you when you're not doing your job right, or to encourage you when you are doing right. That's what authority is supposed to do. In, in all aspects of life, in parenting, in marriage, in family life, in government, in the world around us, in your workplace, authority, when exercised properly, is a, is a life-giving, powerful thing for good. And we believe that in our church. We believe in the principle of, of elders, as male elders being not just lording it over people, not being that at all, but being fathers, being shepherds, sacrificing themselves. The principle that Jesus talks about of leadership is the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It's saying, I'm going to, the same way that, that husbands in their marriages are supposed to lay down their lives just as Christ laid down his life for the church, leaders in the church are supposed to do the same. I give myself for this community. That's the heart that it's supposed to come with. And, and later on in our story of a church, we will appoint elders to do that within the church. And their job is to release men and women into their calling. It's not to say that they're at the top of the pile and they're the best. No, no, they're, they're at the bottom, releasing everybody else into what God has for them, both men and women, in whatever God's called them to. And you need that. Without that, it's not really a church, not, not the way the Bible describes it in any means. And within that, we're all tasked with both submitting and leading one another. The Bible calls it one-anothering. And if you read through, there's dozens and dozens of verses in the New Testament about how we're to one another each other. And the main one, I think it appears about 10 times, is this verse that says, love one another. And it comes up again and again and again. So what we're supposed to do as the church, one another each other. Be an encouragement, help each other to grow up. Number four, the church will help you experience love. That's what happens when you're part of a church community. Remember, if we go back to what Jesus taught us here and what Paul goes on to say in his letters, that the, the, the church now is, is the temple of God. Where he dwells is amongst his people. And what that means is, is that we, as Christians, you don't need to go and do a, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem 
Jerusalem is not the center of our faith anymore. That the temple in Jerusalem is not some kind of center of pilgrimage that we should go to. The temple is in the church. It's in his people. That the church is where God lives on earth. That, that's the, the place where God is at work. is through his people. Not in a building, a structure, anywhere else. Not in a, in a particular holy city. His holy city now is the church, the people of God. We're not just a loose collection of individuals. We're not just friends, either is Liberty Church. We're called to something deeper. We believe that the church, both the church universe around the world, but the local church, Liberty Church here in Amsterdam, is where we meet Jesus. That's what it means to be the people of God. We're the place where God lives and dwells now. It's in his people. That's where our, our needs are met. Our longings are satisfied. Our desires are met. Is in Jesus through the church. That's what the church is supposed to do. Is to minister the love of Christ to one another. To love one another and to point each other to the love we find in Jesus. And if you feel a bit distant from that love, I'd encourage you, lean into the church, the people of God. If you feel like your faith is a bit dry, you've kind of lost that sense of even just knowing and experiencing the love of God, then lean into the church, the people of God. And we're not perfect at doing this, any of these things. The church isn't perfect. A lot of what I'm saying today is, is kind of idealistic. I'm putting like a, a beautiful picture in front of us and there'll be frustrations. There'll be times when these things don't live up to the standard we see in the Bible, where we'll let each other down, where we'll disappoint one another because we're human, because that's, that's how relationships work. But I'd encourage you not to back off, but lean deeper into what Jesus has for you in his church. Number five, the church is where your dreams come true. This might sound a bit grandiose because for most of us, our, probably our kind of felt experience, how we normally kind of receive the church is in, is in meetings, is in groups, is in WhatsApp messages, is in, is in rotors. Oh, I'm always on rotors. There's always another rotor to put me on. I'm putting out the chairs. I'm plugging things in. Another rotor... I heard a friend of mine say that churches are like helicopters. You have to be careful not to get caught in the rotors. And that's often how it can feel. But the people of God, the people of God, the Bible talks about them being God's manifold wisdom. It's how God's working out his salvation plan into the world. See, what God will do is he'll put dreams, visions, desires on your heart, He'll take even the ones that, even the dreams and visions and desires that perhaps aren't very godly, he'll reshape them, he'll remold them. And he wants to send you out into the world around us as the church together, send us out into our city to love and serve our city. The Dutch uh, uh, pastor, and he was the, the prime minister of the Netherlands as well about 100 years ago, Abraham Kuyper, he talked about the church as like a greenhouse that we, 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 we come into this greenhouse 
and with one another and with the word, we kind of heat it up and we grow up as kind of plants do in a greenhouse and then we're scattered out into the world around us. Our vision when we talk about being a, a liberty church, when we talk about being liberty in the city, it's more than just putting on meetings, although that's important. It's about you being sent out into your calling, us as a people being sent out into our workplace, into our homes, into our streets, our neighborhoods, taking the dreams that God's put on our heart. Maybe that's the question you need to ask yourself. What, what am I dreaming about? What, what's the vision that God's given me for my life? And take that dream, that vision, and use it to shape the world around us. I don't just mean going into your workplace and telling everyone about Jesus and whacking them over their head till they believe. Well, it's important to tell people about Jesus. But I mean, you get to affect the, the culture, the environment around you. You get to shape how decisions are made, how people speak to one another, how people honor authority, how people go about doing their jobs, how people display faithfulness and love. And we get to shape culture itself, politics, the arts, education, whatever God's called you to, we get to take the kingdom of God into the world around us. We get to bring the aroma, the fragrance of Christ into the world to affect and change this city. We, I love this city. We love Amsterdam. I got the, the, um, the, the train and then the tram across the city to get here this morning. It was minus four, so I didn't want to cycle. And I was reading a book, and, and as, I, as I sat on the tram, I opened up my book, I just felt God say to me, just put your book down and just enjoy the city. <laughs> so I just, I just looked, we went past Ulster Park and the Tropa Museum, over the Amstel, right through the heart of the city, past the Rijksmuseum. I got off at Leidseplein and then walked here. I thought, I live in, a, in an amazing city. I, I just, I love living here. And it's such a privilege to be able to live in a city like this. And yet I want to see something better, something more. I believe God's got so much more for this city. But there are so many people in this city who, although they love the city at the same time, they feel lost here. And they've come here to pursue their dreams and their hopes and desires, and yet they feel let down. They feel frustrated, even this season. They're not sure why they're here, paying so much rent when they're not ever able to leave their apartment. And yet God loves this city. And he sent us, the church, you, to love and serve this city, to see our dreams worked out for his glory. Number six, finally, the church, the church is wonderfully what Jesus is doing right now. <laughs> Such an important question to ask. And, uh, and a, a dear lady in the church, she asked me this question a few weeks ago with tears in her eyes. What's God doing right now? And the, the best way to answer that question, the best way to always answer that question, what is Jesus doing? He's building his church. <laughs> That's the promise the Bible gives for us. A friend of mine is a, a pastor in the Ukraine, and he's just lived through five years of civil war. He was pastoring a church, actually he was leading a whole network of churches right out in the east of Ukraine. 
And he said, and they've lived through five years of horrendous war there. And I heard him tell his story recently, and a, a few years ago, just after the war had started, he was sitting on a bench in his hometown, and he was just trying to process what had, had happened to him in the last six months or so. And, he, and they, the, church, the building where they met in had been taken over by the army, they'd been thrown out. The, the training center where they trained and equipped pastors, the kind of nerve center of his network of churches was, was gone, again, taken away. 70% of his church had had to move out the city. People had lost their homes. People had loved ones who'd been killed in the war. People had lost their jobs, their savings. You know, we think we've got it bad living through corona. Imagine living through war. And he sat down on this bench and he just said to God, what, what, what's happened to my church? What, what, what's going on? And he felt just the Holy Spirit just kind of gently rebuke him and just say, it's not your church. <laughs> it's, it's not, is it? It's not, it's not my church. This is Jesus' church. And he's, he's building it. And whatever we're going through, whatever we're going through, whatever season we're in, it doesn't stop God. It really doesn't. He's at work. If we learn anything about God through the Bible, if you read this book cover to cover as we're doing this year, you just see the, the unstoppable nature of the power of God, the unstoppable nature of his love. It just keeps on coming. I was reflecting, if you've been tracking with us, we are reading through the Bible. Don't worry if you haven't, but hopefully it's been a blessing to you if you have. We just got to the end of the book of Genesis and already you see time and time again the faithfulness of God where he makes promises to his people. He makes covenant agreements with them, with Adam and Eve and they sin and they rebel against him. And, it, and that pattern just follows all the way through with Noah, with Abraham and Sarah, with Joseph and his brothers. You see again and again God's love comes, his, he makes promises to his people and they let him down. <laughs> it's just, just how we are. And yet his faithfulness, his love keeps on coming to us. And he keeps building his church. We can keep experiencing his love and his power through the church, through his people. We're his workmanship. We're the bride of Christ. He's not going to stop that. And for us in this season as a church together, this isn't, there's so much about this season which isn't ideal, but he's still at work. He's still at work in your life. He's putting strength and courage in you today that will do you good for the rest of your life. And we as a church family together are to strengthen and encourage one another through this season. I could say so much more, but let me just stop and pray for us. And then Nina and the band are going to come and Lead us in some songs of worship. Jesus, I just want to pray for all of us right now. Uh, we're, we're aware of what we lack at the moment. I don't think we've ever been aware in our whole lives of the things that we lack, of the relationships we miss, you know, the, the people we'd love to embrace, the people we just want to give them a big hug, the people we just want, we just want to be standing next to them on a Sunday and worshipping our hearts out. There's so many things that we're aware that we lack. But ultimately, what I think 
the, the supply that Paul wanted to give to the church in Thessalonica is what he says elsewhere, that, that his mission was to preach Christ and him crucified, that ultimately what we, what we lack, what we always need more of is your love. And we thank you now that in Jesus Christ, that the supply we need is always readily available. And that's what we want to do as a church community is again and again, minister the love of God to one another. I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you just make that love come alive in our hearts again. You give us just fresh vision, fresh passion to, to build your, uh, to, to join with you in the building of your church, to serve the mission you've called us on into this city, to give us faith that whatever is going on in the world around us, you're faithful, you're sovereign, you're on your throne, and we can trust you. Yeah, help us just to, for anyone that's watching that isn't a follower of you, I just pray that right now they would know the power of your love impacting their heart. They'd know your grace for them afresh. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.